I think that's the knowledge that I'm thirsty for. That's the stuff I'm looking for Mm -hmm. is, is that, that, that first startup part of the job, the, you know, the starting of a business, the, the meeting with clients and, and, you know, presenting contract. And now in the custom world, you know, cost plus is, is kind of, kind of more where we're geared to. What are your thoughts on that? How do you get that client and vet the client and, you know, make sure, is there an onboarding process that you typically do? Do you just go and have a call and then you sit down or? That's Drew McLean. And he just started his own custom home building company with years of experience under his belt. And he came to the contracting handbook today after having done his homework and asked a lot of awesome questions. It's the epitome of what the contracting handbook should be. And if you're new to the pod, I'm Mike Kinoki, and I've been running my contracting company, Straight Ahead Construction, in Fairbanks, Alaska, for about 17 years now. But before we continue, I'm going to ask that favor again. If you guys would snap a shot of your car stereo or of your phone while you listen, stick it in your stories or post it somewhere and tag me, it would really help get the word out about the pod. All right, thanks in advance. Here we go. So I'm trying to start my business right now, right? I'm still working on that mammoth in Palm Beach, that big 30,000 square foot house. Okay. A lot of people have budgets, you know, and they want to know, like, no, I want I want to know it's going to be this, right? And then how do you get past that? Like, where, where are you even start? You're trying to figure out where they are. Where is that line in the sand? How do you even guarantee that they can finance it? You know, how do you say, well, well you know, Use me. I, I'm the best. How does that attract not just clients, but how do you try to attract um, talent for employment? How do you figure out? Do you set time apart to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Like, still feels like I'm I'm starting to drive down the street and I'm changing the tires on a moving vehicle, right? How do you find time to work in your business versus working on your business? How do you pay yourself and still invest in the company? Did you have a, a clear path of being a developer? Is there anything that you use to stay organized, technology-based? What do, when, you're, when you're asking these clients for a large down payment, how do you structure that? But I don't feel, guil- I don't feel guilty anymore, man. <laughs> so you're telling me feel- it's okay. It'll get better. You're telling yeah, me it's it, going to get better. Yeah, man. I- yeah, no, I think the whole point uh, you really touched on it is that there is no normal. There is no one shoe that fits, right? As a general contractor, I think our job is to make everyone more efficient. Yeah, like I think everyone needs a skid steer in their life. Yeah. Welcome back to the Contracting Handbook Podcast, everyone. My guest today is a man, a project superintendent for a time, and that's where I came across him. But he started in the trades as an electrician and is now owner-operator of McLean Construction Group. It's Drew McLean. Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's, it's going great, Drew. Good to Good, see you. Man. Good. What do you want so- to talk about today? Well, so one of the things is, is, you know, I kind of want to jump right into contracts, you know, kind of get your idea of cost plus versus stipulated sum or, or fixed price, however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, real quick, uh, you know, being, I came from commercial into residential and a lot of times we use the GMP or, or fixed price. And now in the custom world, you know, cost plus is, is kind of, kind of more where we're geared to. What are your thoughts on that? I think in the current market, uh, I think it'd be difficult to go any other way because, mm-hmm. because all, all our materials are completely treated as commodities now by markets. So you don't know what anything's going to cost on any given day. Right. Um, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of trade contractors are also moving towards that for this, for similar reasons, but also custom homes. We all know, you know, that there's these nuances here where you sign a contract and you have everything dialed in, but when it comes time for the lights to be positioned before the sheetrock goes up and the owner comes in and says, no, this is actually how I want it. You know, there's all these little things and who eats that? Or how does that go? Is it a change order? And, and, and that's some tricky stuff. So um, I think in today's market, that's definitely where we're moving to. I have previously done almost exclusively fixed price, but I'm not building a custom home right now for a client. One of the things I struggle with is one, bring the clients into that onboarding process and then telling them that, you know, as we go along this, this custom home journey, you know, it's a fluid process and there's no, you know, real, it's hard to get the target locked onto something. A lot of people have budgets, you know, and they want to know, like, no, I want, I want to know it's going to be this. Right. And then how do you get past that? In terms of expectation management, I think from the very start, they have to understand that if they want to know that price that they better know what they want there. Cause there will be so much gray area that can be left there. If, if you just say, okay, electrical is going to cost this much, but you haven't really focused on your layouts. You haven't really. And have you thought about, have you thought about programmable switches, all that stuff, uh, dimmers, you know, they cost more. So you have to, you have to uh, be very clear on every single aspect of it to get them that number and if they don't know at the time then they have to expect that it might be different then there's going to be an adjustment look people in the eye and honestly communicate this is not to trick you this is just the way it is this is how economics work a lot of these custom home projects i see that people are just wanting to get going right and so whether they find the contractor first the architect a lot of sense we're we're hitting the ground running not knowing a lot of those things and not defining the black and white. And so I think that's probably where the cost plus and what, what I mean, cost plus, I mean, the cost of the work plus my contractor fee. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, that's kind of the argument that I have in a lot of sense, but I sympathize with people wanting to get that fixed price and pull it into the black and white, you know, but the thing about the fixed prices are the, the fee, the change order fees. Right. And that's and explaining that to people puts them on edge. I totally understand why someone wants the fixed price, but it's not possible anymore for a new home. Right. It's just not. Um, so I can't. I mean, I, yeah. my empathy can only stretch so far for something like sure, that. Sure. Well, moving on, then, I mean, I think you kind of touched on it. And one of my other questions is 
you know, you talked about managing expectations and everything, but what about just even managing the client? Like, how do you get that client and vet the client and, you know, make sure, is there an onboarding process to, that you typically do? Do you just go and have a call and then you sit down or, or what's that, you know, that process of making sure you're getting in the right, you know, contract with a, an owner? That's the eternal question. I think that we all struggle with the tire kickers and, and people who aren't quite serious or don't quite know they mm-hmm. want a house. They, they want a house, but they don't have land drawings or financing, but they still call you. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the three things I ask right away now or in the email. Do you have land? Do you have drawings? Have you contacted a financer mm-hmm. or are you doing it? Are you doing it out of pocket? All right. That's huge. That will definitely knock out 50% of the people right away because they'll right. say, no, I'm, we're going to work with the people who have those things. Right. And then amongst those people, there's more questions to be asked that will also get rid of a bunch would be just asking about finishes. Right. Right away. What, what, yeah. what do you, what's your bathroom going to look like? What have you chosen tile? Right. See if they have like the idea, even if they have the image in their head, like where, where are you even start? You're trying to figure out where they are. Where is that line in the sand? Exactly. And, where I'm building a house for someone and they don't have their fit, their finishes chosen and we're creating the space it's framed and they haven't chosen tile. They haven't, you know, and then you're fitting things in to space instead of, instead of making the space for the things that go in it. Right. And, um, that's no good. The more questions you ask the client when they, when you are in that onboarding process, you can kind of cut through the ones you want. And it also depends on how many projects you want in a year. True. I mean, some contractors have so many employees that they're going to say, okay, I'm going to build some of these clients. They might not have completely vetted, but they, they know they've got money landing in their drawing and they're going to do it. But the red flags were ignored. Right. Because they yeah. got to, they got to keep their employees busy. They got to keep their subs busy. They, so they're, so they're taking on jobs. Yeah. And, but if you're yeah, doing, Go ahead. No, I see that all too often, I think, you know, and I, I see a lot of people, they go into a lot of contractors go into these agreements with people and they'll say, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, I only have $600,000 and you're like, well, it's a million dollar project, but I'll do it for 600. And it's like, well, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's communicating to the client any bit of confidence. It's like, you know, you just quoted them a million and now you're saying you can do it for less. Or you're just, like you said, putting a superintendent, you're just getting a job to throw a superintendent on there. I think one of my things is in, in starting this journey is that I want to make sure, you know, I think uh, you kind of touched on it is that we're educators, right? If we can get there and educate the clients and things like that and really get them to understand the process. Cause I think a lot of people just don't understand. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, I think when you're vetting these people, it's like, I don't know, I'm just trying to find a way to have like an onboarding process. It's a lot more streamlined that just kind of maybe it's a questionnaire or something. Have you ever done anything like that? Yeah, I definitely have a questionnaire. Um, If if they if they make it past the first phone call and sit down uh, and actually after the first phone call, if I think they're really serious and we're going to have a sit down, I send them a questionnaire. Then we sit down for coffee and I ask them to give it to me and see if there's anything written on it. (laughs) <laughs> See if and, and, i mean but i i i think the 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 process isn't going to be the same for every client because everybody's right. so different in how they respond 
to questions. Mm. Yeah. So, so on that, um, say they get past that deal. One of my biggest fears, you know, and is like the financing, you know, you kind of touched and added, you know, whether they're doing bank financing or personal financing, well, if they say personal, how do you even, how do you even guarantee that they can finance it? You know, I know when I worked in commercial, you know, we would ask owners for a bank letter because they're yeah. building a structure, you know, they're, they're, they're building a separate business or some sort of building and that's fair, but I think it's different when it comes to uh, personal finances in their personal home, right? Or is that maybe not? Maybe you do ask. What, what do you think on that? I think you have to ask. I think you have to yeah. get a letter from the bank or have them show you what they've got. Yeah. You know, and they're not going to want to show you everything, but. Right. Yeah. That's, but you it's got, really personal, right? It is super personal. And then requiring a, a huge down payment too. Okay. Well, there you go. The down payment, right? So. Yeah. So uh, I hate to just keep rolling and, and shooting no. questions at you, but with the down payment, it's like, so I know some people who don't even ask for down payments and some do. And I've heard the down payments, you know, well, down payments, uh, what do they say? You know, it goes towards the last payment or last bill, you know, what, do, when you're, when you're asking these clients for a large down payment, are you saying like, this is permitting fees, all of the things that it takes or, or how do you structure that? I do uh, a large down payment and then landmark payments after that. Hmm. And so roofs on windows are in, you know, you're dried in next payment. That first down payment in my head generally covers dirt work, foundation, framing, materials, windows, right. installation, payment to the subs for any rough in they've done. I, I don't think there's much left. And then it's time for the next payment. And that next payment is going to prepay for the next few phases. Sure. Because I want, I need to pay my subs right when they're done. It's, we inspect and I, and I hand them a check. Yeah. I don't like to make them wait. Some people th say you should, you know, wait the 30 day period. I'll tell you what, when you pay your subs right away and you have a problem later, with some other job or you have an emergency, they got your back. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Paying um, subs on time to me is a no brainer. The thing is, is like, so we're talking two different things. Cause I'm, I'm more structured towards progress billing, like monthly billing. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're talking about, you know, scheduled draws. Right. And I think that um, one of the differences here, and this is the nuanced thing between contractors is we all, what are, what our targets are or mm -hmm. what are, what our products are also so different in, in a sense, you know, and, and for everybody listening out there, uh, I've kind of met drew on the hammer app and he's, he's, uh, managing this home build that is, is massive. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the houses I build. It's not a 2,400 square foot four, three, you know, it's not that it's much yeah. more complicated. The length of the project in that sense, monthly billing makes sense on a mm -hmm. project like that. If I'm building a house in four or five months, I just, I need landmark payments and I could do monthly, but it, it almost be the same. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense when you say it like that, because it's the scale, you know, your duration, right. Your duration's much less. So it would almost be more work to do monthly payments. Right. And you're, you're trying to tell them, Hey, we're going to hit the ground running. So, you know, four month project, like, you know, like you said, most of ours are two to three years. 
right you know, exactly homes in Florida. so you know it's it's hard to be hitting them with you know big draws that's a long time to be hanging out with one client i'm telling you what man it is but <laughs> you, you get you really get to know these people and yeah. you know i i i think it's kind of why i stuck into the whole thing anyways because you you know it becomes a relationship and that's it's kind of more what i'm geared into is, is relationships but Speaking of like, you know, the clients, and everything, or maybe not so much speaking of the clients, more speaking of oneself, how do you distinguish yourself, you know, apart from the others? Like how, as a new person coming in, right, starting with lane construction, like myself down here in Florida, you know, I, there's a lot of people in the game and there's, you know, right now everyone's moving to Florida, houses are going crazy, you've got a housing crisis down here and everywhere, right? So, and I just like, how do I distinguish myself, you know, differently from everyone else? How, how, how do you do that? How does Mike say, you know, you're up in Alaska. I'm sure, like you said, a lot of people want to be building up there. You know, how do you say, well, well you know, use me. I, I'm the best. And I tell people that I'm among the best. I tell them it's not just about building the house and the product and the quality. If they know me, they know that they're going to get, a high performance home. And that's just part of the deal. They know I'm not going to build less than that. But when we're on that initial call, I tell them it's about a relationship like you're talking about. And if you get done talking to me and you feel like it's good, to, it'll be a good experience working with me, then we can do that. But if you don't, then it's probably not a good idea. If you, I, I encourage people to talk to other contractors. I think being honest and being yourself is a huge marketing tool because people yeah. like a, a real human being. They don't want the sense of like the salesman or the businessman who's, mm -hmm. who's kind of like fronting about who they are, really are. How does that attract not just clients, but how do you try to attract um, talent for employment? You know? Oh man, that's a good question. And talent is very hard to come by these days, as you know, uh, yeah. that we've got a dwindling labor pool, but one of the things that I found to be incredibly valuable was social media and uh, a Google My Business page. Now, the social media, people can see you're posting your best work. You're not posting everything because not every client has the best taste and finishes, but uh, they, that's one place where people can see your work. They can see quality. They can see you're proud. Mm -hmm. But then the Google My Business page, which you've set up, People start writing reviews. You've got a bunch of reviews. A potential carpenter is looking for a company to work for. They search general contractors in this area. Your company comes up with a bunch of five-star reviews. They read the reviews. Clients love you. They love the work. And that person is drawn to your company because they can see that and they want to mm. work for you. And I've had that a few times. And those are my best, those are my best hires. It was definitely not when I was advertising. Yeah. When I advertised for hiring, it was really hard because there's so yeah. many people to, to to sift through. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's a very interesting point. It's you know, the a lot of people think uh, social media or putting yourself on the Google is is more for you know marketing to get clients. A lot of times, it's it's to just put yourself out there so people see you. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then that could bring in the talent that you're looking for. Cause what do we want as, you know, 
people as an employer, you want the best. And when you're an employee, you want to work for the best, right? Definitely. And, and your trade contractors also, when they see that work go up and they, you know, they're, they're behind the walls, right? A lot of it anyway, you know, they're proud of it. They're proud of being part of that team that put it together. Yeah. That's, that's kind of one of my favorite things is just jumping off of the, the, um, the questions here, but you know, the, the trade partners, that's, that's what it's all about. It's, it's being with them and, and working through it all. And I think that's a perfect, you know, great trade partners in the industry is what helps us do our great job, right. As contractors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of leans into one question that I've got rolling into here. So I'm trying to start my business right now, right? I'm still working on that mammoth in Palm Beach, that big 30,000 square foot house. But I'm trying. (laughs) 30,000. 30,000 square foot. Yeah, sorry. It's a little big. But and I'm trying to start my business at the same time. And so one of my questions is, you know, we can't do it all. We've got everyone. But it still feels like I'm, I'm starting to drive down the street and I'm changing the tires on a moving vehicle, right? Because I'm starting this business and it's kind of one of those questions to you is like, how do you find time to work in your business versus working on your business? Mm, That's another really good question. I really like the analogy of driving your car and changing the tires at the same time. That's what it feels like, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive struggle when you're really busy to work on work within the business or work on the business. But one thing I encourage people who are starting out to do is when you do have time and you're not, you know, putting that into family or exercising or something you actually need to do like that, take time to sit down every week and put it into your business. And one of the things is, is if there's jobs that you don't really want to take, don't always take the job. If you have a down, if you get downtime because you're, because you've got gaps between jobs, Use that to work on your business. Have a list of goals, a, a, a list of objectives on the side somewhere that you always are returning to and checking those boxes, what you need to work on in the business. And a lot of it too, when you do that, when you have this list, or there's probably going to be a few lists, uh, depending on, you know, like a how you know, social media or, or marketing or as you work and you return to that list, a lot of that stuff will kind of process through and you'll answer a lot of your questions. So I think it's very important to have those lists and to keep revisiting those lists. Anyway, so yeah, organization, right? I think that's one of the things. And I think that's one of the beautiful things I've learned in managing large projects is staying organized and making sure, you know, we live our lives through spreadsheets a lot of time in management. And it's, you've got to go back. Great project manager told me, you know, you got to actually use them and you got to go back weekly and you have to review those, those tasks and make sure it's kind of like a, uh, it's like you said, like going, taking care of oneself, going to the gym or something like that. It's the same thing. You got to, you got to put that time. So I think that's a valuable point. Yeah. And I think all, any of us out there who are, who are home builders could probably learn something about managing from you because you're managing such large scale homes over this period of time. And, and, the sheer number of subcontractors and punch list items that need to get <laughs> taken care of in between phases must be massive. I mean, they're not, yeah. it's not like 40, you go over there for 45 minutes on a 30,000 square foot house when there's a punch list. That's again, goes back to the trade partners and having a valuable team. It's like, you have to have those people 
so you have the time to to manage all the things you have to manage right yeah otherwise it becomes monumental and you can't take it all you know if if you let it build it gets too bad but you know i think that's how i manage all of those big jobs anyways you kind of you have to take it you know it's like eating a whale right or an elephant i mean one bite at a time right yeah i like i like seafood better than i do think it's super important what you pointed out though about find that balance between working on the business versus in the business because you can get swept away. Right. And then even, even more so taking time for oneself is difficult, right? Because I'm starting to learn more as, you know, an owner of a business, you can work anytime you want to work. You know, it's not like the old employee days where you're, you're digging a ditch and it's like, Oh, it's, you know, the ditch is dug, put the shovel down. No, like, you know, you can work all the time. So how do you, Mike, how do you figure out, do you set time apart to make sure that you're taking care of yourself? Like, you know, when I was younger, I used to hear older guys saying stuff like they'd say, you staying busy. And the other guy would say, busy as I want to (laughs) be. And I never really got it. Yeah. And then one day I did. And I was like, Oh yeah. There's always something to do, right? You always, you have a list so you can work 24 hours a day if you want to. So you have to set time aside for yourself. So when I schedule my week, I schedule in the gym. I schedule in downtime. I find that exercise and downtime, just walking even is so important to, to clear your mind. Uh, Even if you're not thinking about the business, things pop in your head. You know, right. you just you go, oh, this is actually, this is fine. Or, or you remember something else that needs to be done. Uh, it's, and then you, of course you have to be flexible because there's lots of fires that need to be put out along the way. So right. you can't let those fires take away the time you set aside for yourself though. You have to, you have to make sure you still get that other stuff done. That's for yourself. Right. And that, that is a challenge, but it's a, it's just a mindset. Yeah, it's tougher. And then it's, I also find it's tough sometimes when you're taking the time for yourself that you're not feeling regret that you're taking time for yourself, right? You're like, man, I should be working. There's so much to be done. And you're, and it's, it's tough. There is a guilt factor. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, that was ingrained in me at a very young age to feel guilty about a lot of things, but, um, but I don't feel guilty. I don't feel guilty anymore, man. <laughs> so you're telling me feel- it's okay. It'll get better. You're telling yeah, me it's it, gonna get better. Yeah, man. I yeah. I think you have to do that for yourself, or mm-hmm. or you'll feel like you'll grow resentment towards the business, and that's not healthy either. And maybe this is an accountant question. I don't know. How do you pay yourself and still invest in the company? You know what I mean? you know, where we pay ourselves and there's always, we could go on forever talking about, you know, general require general conditions, you know, paying yourself and then profit. I think there's even a book called markups, not profit or anything, but anyways, you know, how do you, again, discipline yourself, take that time and and structure it to put back into the business. Uh, I don't have a rule of thumb in terms of what I reinvest because I reinvest when I need to, or when my CPA tells me to. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'm also very fiscally conservative. I don't, I don't, I don't blow my money. Yeah. Uh, so I've got rainy day funds and, mm-hmm. and that's just in, that's just in my nature as a person. If you're not, if it's not in your nature to save, 
If it's not in your nature to put money aside, then you have to find that within you because a rainy day can come and, and take away a lot of money. So many people will just hear that. Well, oh, you got to just go spend it so you don't pay taxes on it. And it's like you look at all these guys going out and buying all these toys and you're like, man, doesn't anyone know the word retain earnings? Like it's it's scary that I don't know. It just seems reckless in a sense. There is a there is some truism to to you got to spend money to make money, but you got to take money. You got to make money and, and reinvest it in something else. And this is kind of going to where you and I were talking before we recorded is I made money. I didn't buy lots of toys. I bought what I needed for my business. I bought mm -hmm. my guys the tools they wanted. I was saving towards building so I could build spec houses because mm -hmm. it's essentially where I started. I didn't know when I was building my first few houses that I was actually becoming a general contractor. I was just not wanting to pay rent and there was an opportunity. Now, when I got into contracting, I realized I could either borrow a bunch of money from a bank and take a big risk and build spec houses, which I could have done looking back it would have been fine because our market would have supported it, but I was nervous. So I had a crew and did tons of remodels and built some, some customs and moved more and more towards customs, but taking that profit and saving it. Right. So I can, so I can build my own houses. So That's I can be my own developer. It's not some huge thing. It's just a, 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 a more of a sense of freedom. And you know, what's really fun building a, a home with your subcontractors and no client, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, to your point, I think a person needs to have goals with their profits. Mm -hmm. And that's another list. That's another spreadsheet. What do I need? What do I spend? What's coming in? What's going out? Like on a personal level, your accountant can tell you all this other stuff, you know, your, your profit and loss, but then your objectives matter so much in that picture. Um, what are your long-term, what do you want long-term? What do you need? Do you need a telehandler? Do you need to buy a skid steer? Do you need to buy, you know, what equipment do you actually need? What equipment do you want? You right. know, yeah. like I think everyone needs a skid steer in their life. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, you need it. It's not a one. Yeah. But I feel you. I feel you. No, that's, that's huge. And I think, I think it's all goal based, you know, and, and, you know, believe it or not, that's, I'm trying to go in the direction you're going in. You know, we talked a little bit about that and it's, you know, with the wife being the architect, me, the contractor, the dream is to be a, a builder or to be my own client and to be a developer in that sense. Um, and I don't know, maybe that is the goal. Maybe that's the savings goal, you know, and what does that look like, you know, for you personally, as far as, as like structuring yourself, did you know you had, did you have a, a clear path of being a developer or did you just stumble into it? Was it a dream? Coming into contracting was not really a clear path to anything. I've tried many things, I'm, but I'm very curious by nature. And, and so I explored a lot of avenues. Now, when I built my first little place, I knew I was onto something that I really liked, mm -hmm. but I was still, you know, following my 
I was, I thought I was going to be like a professional office person or something at the time, right. you know, I went to college and it was after college. As soon as I built a place, I started doing side jobs. Now I had, I was alone for, for five years of my contracting business. And then I hired a crew because in that five years of being alone, I realized that there was an absolute cap on how much money I could make in a year. The absolute, there was no way I could, I could take on more jobs, but it, working alone, there's a limit. Right. And I was like, okay, I need to, I need to make more money so I can build my own houses. So I hired a crew and my objective was to have a crew for 10 years hmm. and then, and then cut them loose and go back on my own. So I kind of achieved my financial goal in like seven years. And I think that if someone wanted to do something like I'm doing, you need to, to kind of lay out that plan and revisit it. It's like that whole listing again, like come back and mm -hmm. revisit it. Right. And, you know, where am I at? What am I? Because if you don't, you can just be spinning in all directions, taking jobs and not really paying attention to yeah. what's coming going further those, down the road. Yeah. Going back in those ruts of life that we like to find ourselves in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. I think that's a, a again, a valid point of just, you know, staying organized and, and making sure you're going back to that stuff. That's huge. Going back to the list and that were my spreadsheets are, is there anything that you use to stay organized, technology-based? You know, we've got a lot of programs in the construction world that help document control and RFIs, but is there something that kind of you found that, you know, works better for you to, to do all that, to stay organized and to stay focused? I'm still, you know, using Excel a lot for, yeah. for managing stuff because I, I'm pretty proficient at it though. Maybe if we're talking about project management software, you know, there's a lot of those out there and I'm sure they're helpful. And I'm, I would imagine you've used some in managing your projects. Yeah. Uh, now for, let's go back to, you know, phase one of, of Mike Kenoki straight ahead construction. I couldn't have afforded $600 a month for a project management program software. Right. And, and I didn't work year round. It's going to be down to the person. I do, I do see the value in it. Uh, I'm yeah. also, I'm also in a place, I'll just say one more thing. I'm also in a place where maybe the software might not be as useful to me because some of my subcontractors might still use flip phones. <laughs> you know, I asked the software thing because, you know, when I was running this, 30,000 square foot house. And, you know, we've got over, you know, hundred subs at certain times, you know, all in the building working in different places and different things going on all over the structure. It was driving me mad. Right. So mm -hmm. I had to find a way and to put my thoughts out there constantly. And it had to be at my fingertips because, you know, every thought that pops in your head and I use something as simple as a, a Trello board, which is, it's just a simple kind of team tracking board where you just put your ideas on there and you can move them around. And that was helpful to mm -hmm. at least get it out there because if it stays in your head, man, it just wreaks havoc. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, and that's kind of, that's one of those things that I was, you know, I found it. I'm like, man, what else is out there that can make my life easier? I want to know it. I'm, I love, I'm huge on the, the tech world stuff. I love all of the, uh, the softwares that make it easier. And I'm just, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get a whole bunch of emails after this telling me all the different 
computer programs to use. But, you know, I, I think it's how you run the business. It's, it's personal, right? It's, it's, it, it's mm. from job to job, even it could be from business to business. And I think that's one of the complicated things for someone like me, who's coming to start his own business. You know, I've worked the construction trade since I was out of high school. Right. So it was right out of high school working and, you know, it was all very clear that the construction of it is, is simple and clear and there's codes that you have to follow. And, you know, it's, it's, to me, that part is, is done now. The part that is making me really ask these questions and again, sought after your podcast for it is because I, you know, I don't know how to start these things or, or mm -hmm. the, the client onboarding process, the stuff that employees don't get to really work with. Um, I think that's the knowledge that I'm thirsty for. That's the stuff I'm looking for mm -hmm. is, is that, that, that first startup part of the job, the, you know, the starting of a business, the, the meeting with clients and, and, you know, presenting contracts and, and all of that stuff is, is kind of like, and I find it, there's trade secrets. Like I've asked guys like, Hey, what, what AIA contract form to use? And then they just ghost me. Like no one wants to talk about contracts. And I find that interesting. And I'm like, guys, you know, like, I think not to uh, reference your, one of your last calls or, or podcasts it was with Breck and he was talking about abolishing the trade secrets. And I was like, yeah, that's what we need. We need to try to stay open and help other people, you know, bring other people up to our level. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, I, especially when it comes to contracts, I didn't have a great contract for a long time and I couldn't really give advice on it. But now it's like, if we, if we share the information, we build a better building community and it's better for our communities we live in if things are more right. clear for them and yeah. what you also brought up is that it's very personal and down to the person down to how we want to do things as individuals i am very visual and mm -hmm. i almost draw diagrams of who's where and and what's what when i'm really busy i've never had 100 subcontractors on one job site but there was a period where i could say there was a hundred people working under my license all over town on a given day with subs and their employees, you know, and that was a, that's, yeah, lots of jobs. Yeah. That, you know, that's back to be even harder. What I was going to say is because it's not on one little job. Right. Right. I also tend to glaze over in front of the computer. So when my hands are involved, my brain is more connected to, to what I'm doing. And I, Maybe that, maybe that should be my next thing is developing software for people that are more visual that for organizing. I think we could go on for days of, of all the different ways that we do it and how others can do it. I don't know if there's a way that, you know, with technology, we can streamline those things or if we want to, because like you said, you know, we're all different. We all learn differently, but it's like, how do you get all of that information out there for everybody? Or, you know, like a, a tool set. Like I tell a lot of guys, I'm not smart. I, I just know what tools can help me do the job, right? And I think that's one of the huge things with technology these days is now there's more and more tools for us to do the job. And a lot of people don't even know they exist. Absolutely. And a lot of people are going to say, I don't have time to learn it. 
I get that all the time. I get that all the time. So, so, you know, I use, um, I use an iPad at work and I have all the documents on there through a, a software that's very expensive. And, and, and all the guys think that, you know, I'm some whiz kid and I'm like, guys, it's so easy. Once I convince them to actually put their hands on it, you know, they love it. And I think that's one thing I try to get people to understand is like, don't be scared of change or don't mm-hmm. be scared of a tool that can make your life easier. And a lot of times people think it looks like more work up front, but there was this, uh, where did I hear it? It was um, your ROTI. I think it was uh, your invest, your, in, your return on time invested. So what I tell a lot of guys, it's, you know, if it takes you five minutes to learn this thing, but it saves you hours in your day, wouldn't you want to spend that five minutes? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the barrier to entry to a lot of people. And I think it's barrier to entry to a lot of people in anything. And I think we just have to get over that hump, but that's a whole nother conversation. Maybe on the podcast, even, I don't know. Definitely. Um, I, I, I think you have to embrace the change in the technology. Mm-hmm. the new tools, anything to make your life easier and your, and your body less beaten at the end of the day. Right. But then how do we make that? How do we broadcast that to everyone out there like me or people coming up in the trades and want to even, you know, try to be a general contractor? Maybe it's not even get that information out, but how do we guide these people into it? You know, I think you're doing it right now with the contractor handbook podcast and the book coming out soon, but Drew, one of my premises in the book is you can read this chapter. You can, you can think some of the stuff I do is silly or, or you can think it's good, but it's a springboard for you Mm -hmm. to do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Because one thing I've learned through this podcast is, is what we're all doing as individuals is not the same. Being a general contractor is not black and white at all. It's an art, you know, you in the end, you end up choosing who you want to work with, doing the projects you want. You get in, you you put your input in on what it should be, but but at the end of the day, how you approach it is is completely individual. Yeah, no, I think the whole point that you really touched on it is that there is no normal. There's no one shoe that fits, right? And I think that's the one thing that a lot of young people coming up need to understand is that, you know, everyone's trying to find, put themselves in a certain compartment and find their way. And, and just, I think you said it in the beginning, just be yourself and, you know, go in with an open heart. I don't know if you said that, but, you know, there is no normal folks. You got to just make work what works, right? A lot of open hearts. True. I mean, you building is a creative extension of ourselves. Mm-hmm you go home with it, you sleep with it. You don't, it doesn't go away Yeah. when you, when you, when you leave the job site, the people you're working with are putting a lot of their hard earned pay in your hands. Yeah. And it's not something to be toyed with. It's not something to be taken for granted. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree with that. I think us as general contractors, we're not just a steward of the owner's money and, and their time. A lot of people forget about the guys who are out there working and putting all that effort in, you know, and putting all their, their business is in your hands in a lot of sense. Like I tell guys, you know, as a general contractor, I think our job is to make everyone more efficient. 
that's it. You know, what can we do? We need to make information as clear as possible and make everyone as efficient as possible. And so they can make money and answer our phone calls when we call them next. Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Hey everybody. We take a little break here and the next episode, we're going to pick up with scaling. How do we scale up? And when do we know licensing, jumping through hoops, delegating, and what's billable. Stick around. We pick up with this right here. How do you decide or, or when do you decide that you want to scale up bigger projects, maybe go commercial, go, go build your own spec homes. Like, Hey, right now I want to give a shout out to my man, Doug Roberts at next level handyman services. Doug, thank you for your continued support and your review and always uplifting people in the trades. If you enjoyed the show, learn something or experience affirmation about what you're doing, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, on the podcast app on your phone, or on my website, thecontractinghandbook.com. Wherever you listen, please subscribe to help get the show to more people like you. Remember, the work we leave behind us is our legacy wherever we are in the world. Also, if you found value in the content and feel like making a contribution for production, go to my Venmo account, Mike Kenoki one All right, that's all I got.